Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. In this episode, we're discussing the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and the Disaster Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2022. With us today are Doug Sims and Mackie McIntosh. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us. So I know you guys have been guests on our podcast before, but for our new listeners out there, I was hoping that you both could just tell us a little bit about yourselves and your role with the Corps. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Mackie McIntosh, a program manager here at Headquarters USACE for the Emergency Supplemental Program Team. I work in support of execution of the Corps' supplemental program, which is basically anything in the civil works arena that is outside our regular appropriations. In general, I work on the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is a $17.1 billion that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in this program. Uh, My background, I did a year, I'm coming off of a year-long detail working on Capitol Hill for the Senate Authorization Committee, Environment and Public Works, which is the committee that writes WERDAs, which we all know is the governing legislation uh, for the core civil works program. Prior to that, uh, I worked primarily in South Atlantic Division at the Savannah District, where I was Chief of Civil Works, uh, overseeing the program there, which consisted of all three appropriations, IC and O&M. And we worked primarily on the Savannah Harbor Expansion Project, um, a $1 billion deepening project that um, has been a a priority of the Corps and the administration for a number of years and has finally come to fruition and the dredging is complete. Thank you, Mackie. Uh, My name is Doug Sims and I've been working at uh, USACE headquarters on the supplemental program now since the fall of 2018, so about three and a half years. I've got about 20 plus years of experience working primarily civil works, uh, marketing to project program management. So I've kind of seen the full uh, spectrum of work from being on a project delivery team to, to leading execution of a project and or program uh, over, the, over those years. I uh, primarily am focused on the, the three other appropriations uh, Mackie had referenced as the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018 and uh, Disaster Relief Act of 2019. You go back in time on one of the prior podcasts and the May, June, July timeframe of 2021, you can hear us talk a little bit about those appropriations. But uh, today I'm going to focus on the Disaster Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act, or what we call DURSA, from 2022, and it's $5.71 billion. So a lot of money and kind of pulling all this together for the listeners out there. When Mackie and I mentioned these four uh, supplemental appropriations, that's a total of over 40 $2 billion in supplemental appropriations that Congress has given us to execute. So we'll drill into both of these recent appropriations in the next 30, 40 minutes. Thank you both for being here today. And yeah, um, I don't know about you, but I am ready to dive into this. So Mackie, tell us more about the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Certainly. So the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act was a very large $1.3 trillion infrastructure package passed earlier this year by the United States Congress. And the core's portion of that bill was approximately $17.1 billion. Now, to put that in perspective, in a given year, a core civil works program, it varies, but anywhere from, let's say, five to $7 billion. So overnight, the CORE's program was more than doubled. And not only was it more than doubled, 
Um, it was given certain points of emphasis and is subject to more scrutiny than, than our regular program. Uh, that $17.1 billion is spread over a number of appropriations, primarily construction, which was $11.6 billion. Uh, we also received $4 billion in operations and maintenance. Mississippi River and Tributaries received another $808 million. We did get some flood control and coastal emergencies funding in the amount of $251 million. Regulatory got a big plus up for, in that appropriation for $160 million. Um, our investigations program received an additional $150 million. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then uh, WAFIA got another $75 million. And even the expenses, which is the stuff we use to oversee and manage our programs, received an additional $40 million to oversee this tremendous program. In general, the program is supportive of the administration's goals to expand access to America's ports through dredging. Uh, it's also building resilience in the face of global climate change. And uh, this will be an important one when we talk about uh, aspects of IIJA and our particular role. It was meant to benefit ec economically disadvantaged communities and regions and, and advancing environmental justice principles. That is IIJA in a very big nutshell, and I look forward to discussing details as we get further into the interview. And Doug, how about the other supplementals? DURSA, we're going to talk about DURSA 2022. It was enacted in 30 September of 2021 for $5.711 billion. And uh, it's very close to the previous BBA and DRA supplementals and how the funding is managed. And we'll drill into that in just a little bit. The same kind of accounts were uh, funded through this appropriation as Mackie referenced for IJA. We have construction, heavy on construction. We have some investigation dollars. We have a lot of O&M, flood control and coastal emergency monies, and also um, MRNT or Mississippi River and tributaries. We did receive 30 million in expense dollars as well. And those dollars are to help us administer and execute manage this program. We have the funding and then we took that funding and we have now through the administration have identified a myriad of studies and projects to meet uh, the administration's intent, as well as Congress who gave us the money. So um, one of the things I'd like to add on to what Mackie has said, and, and we can drill into the dollars on this as we break each one of these appropriations down, but it's accountability. So we have been entrusted by Congress with billions of dollars. What is the Corps doing for accountability purposes? Well, we're doing internal audits and we're setting up that uh, to ensure that we have oversight from headquarters, division, and the district levels that these funds are being applied appropriately, executed appropriately, and are being tracked and reported appropriately. There are requirements through both of these authorizations that require that. A lot of money, a lot of responsibility. The goal is to get out front and start awarding construction contracts if appropriate and start uh, turning dirt so we can provide life safety and also meet some of those other criteria that Mackie mentioned, such as underserved communities, environmental justice, and things of that nature. Thanks. I, I think the, the magnitude of these programs is even hard to comprehend. You know, I think the two programs we're talking about here today have over $22 billion in funding available to us. And then the other supplementals, like Doug talked about earlier, were up over $42 billion. I mean, 
that's basically six years of an appropriation regularly. So like that is a tremendous opportunity for the agency to implement a lot of infrastructure. And I know you talked about it's kind of like the financial accounting and making sure uh, that we are able to track that and, and be responsible with the taxpayer dollars. But kind of a little bit curious is, is how is a core planning to manage and oversee the implementation of this program? If, have they set up any special offices or what? What are we doing as an agency to make sure that we can get these dollars in the ground as quickly as possible? Uh, Doug, I'll start with you. Aaron, some of the things that uh, we're doing is building upon not only the offices, but the lessons learned that were established through prior uh, supplementals. So, for example, South Atlantic Division, SAD, has a major program that is being managed for BBA, DRA, DERSA and now IIJ on top of that. So they have a, a special office called the herd that is in charge of managing and working those appropriations and the studies and projects that fall within those. So we have regional offices. There are district offices as well that are specifically dedicated with staff dedicated to execution of this program. So we have sort of the infrastructure in place, but we fully understand that we may not have enough resources. We may not have the, the expertise readily available that aren't already maxed out through the expense account dollars that have been provided for both of these appropriations. We're going to do some significant recruiting and that's going to be bringing individuals on to help us execute whether they're temp or term. And then we're also going to be seeking uh, assistance from industry going to be putting contracts in place to help us execute all this. So the core cannot do this by ourselves. The non-federal sponsors, our stakeholders, our partners are going to have to help us as well. This is all one big giant team trying to ensure that everything that needs to get done gets done. We also have, like I mentioned, prior lessons learned that we're applying. We have program management plans. We have existing engineer regulations, rules, things that we know we're going to have to abide by and that we can include in our fully resourced schedules and budgets that are going to tools that we're, we can use to track these things. The big push is to make sure we get everything set up right in the beginning and that we have good, clear scopes, commitment, and ready to move out. And I'll turn over to Mackie because I'm sure I've missed a bunch of things. Yeah, you know, it's it's a challenge, right? <laughs> The way that headquarters is set up, you know, we, the emergency supplemental team, kind of sit a little separate from the regular program in the pit. And there is an advantage to that because um, it has a little bit more emphasis when it comes to upward reporting, which is a big part of our program. Because these funds come under emergency supplementals, they have more accountability outside the core, meaning to uh, the administration, to OMB, and to Congress. So, when we set up an architecture for delivery at the headquarters level, we're very mindful of that. And there are some guiding principles, which really, particularly for IIJA, we will try to help emphasize and talk with the field about their major challenges to set up the field for success. Some of those like basic principles, um, Doug's already touched on most of them, are, you know, use of, of the PDBP, the, the Project Delivery Business Process, PMBP for those old folks out there, 
That has recently been revitalized, so that will be part of the IIJA delivery is adhering to those principles and, and the, some of those newer tenants when we talk about looking at forecasting metrics instead of backwards-looking metrics. Um, it's a big part of that. And using our AIS effectively, however antiquated they may seem, we do still have these systems, P2 and Promise, um, and we want to be able to use that data as it is to report um, so that we are not standing in the way of the real part, which the field, you know, is focused on, which is delivery of the projects. Kind of tearing off of that headquarters, we will be focused on removing some of those traditional barriers to execution. When we think about real estate and we think about acquisition and we think about even AIS, those are some things that in the past we've all had issues with in terms of how can we best most efficiently use those tools to help us deliver as opposed to feeling like they're always a bottleneck in the system. And lastly, of course, is personnel, and Doug touched on that. There will be some hiring. Those expenses funds uh, will be used to bring more folks on board to hopefully speed up those processes, meaning whether it's a policy issue or a programming issue, a funding issue. We at headquarters want to, and the MSCs want to have some basic staff on board to, to help be responsive to your requests. This stuff will all, this is all kind of an architecture that building, um, we are getting ready to embark on a, what I'm calling a roadshow. I don't know if that's Mr. Lee, the DCW's term, but we are going to visit all eight MSCs while we're still early in the program. And what we wanna hear and, and learn from them is, you know, what do they see as the real challenges? Because they're the ones out executing the work. You know, whether it's, what we suspected, the things I've just mentioned, um, then we will certainly use those as a point of emphasis. But if there are other insights to be gained and, and really some meaningful solutions, you know, the field's going to have them. And if headquarters can help implement those, then that's what we're here for. So I'm really looking forward to getting out in the field, putting some boots on, seeing some sites, and really hearing what are the challenges. And if they start repeating themselves from MSC to MSC and from district to district, then that will help us better focus so we can remove those barriers for future execution. Yeah, it's so great to hear that headquarters is going out to the field and hearing it from the people working directly on the projects as to what needs to be done to make sure that we accomplish this mission. The work plans recently were released. Just curious if you could highlight a few of the projects that were selected for these emergency supplementals and then talk about the value that these projects will bring to the nation once completed. I like being very simplistic in my responses and have Mackie explain everything and what's really occurring. So this is a great tag team. Uh, what I will say is, hey, every project that has been identified to date is actually listed with the federal dollars to be set aside for execution on our public website, usace.army.mil. You can go out there and you will see on the right-hand side of that screen, if you scroll all the way down, FY18 and eight and FY19 emergency supplemental. We need to update. I understand that. If you click that, you will see all supplemental appropriations out there, but specifically DURSA and IJA. It includes our implementation guidance and by account, whether it's CG construction, investigations, FCCE, has everything listed out there for what the administration has identified as part of the FY22 work or spend plan. So I would encourage your listeners to go out there and look and see what is out there. Now, for DURSA, uh, DURSA came about primarily because of Hurricane Ida, right? 
So when Hurricane Ida hit, uh, Congress knew immediately they had to do something. Significant impacts, damages, loss of life that occurred in primarily four states. We call them the Dursa states, and that's Louisiana, New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. So when you go out there and you look at the projects that are listed, you're going to see it's heavy on those locations, first and foremost, because that's where the majority of the impacts took place. But there's some other areas that could be covered with the appropriation as well. Um, the goal is, as we mentioned some of the criteria earlier, is provide life safety, right? So when you start looking at these lists, you'll see some really large projects covering big areas that are going to hopefully reduce flood risk and provide life benefits, safety benefits uh, in those locations. I don't want to call out a single project or a single study, but the overall goal is to for these communities to benefit significantly from these monumental appropriations. Uh, well said, Doug. When it comes to IIJA, it's a little bit of a different focus because unlike the other uh, emergency supplementals we've discussed, including DERSA, IIJA was not passed in response to a specific natural disaster or event. It was meant as a general and broad reinvestment in the nation's infrastructure. So we talk mainly about the C account because that's where you get the most diversity and where most of the focus is, the construction account. And those funds were allocated, you know, to meet our three primary mission areas, navigation, flood risk management, and ecosystem restoration. Um, when we look at the portfolio overall, in general, Congress um, and then OMB, when they picked the, the specific projects, uh, the administration focused on completion of construction projects that were already underway. So we have 19 construction projects funded to completion, and then the remainder is 22 construction new starts, which for anyone who's been in civil works for a while, that's just an unprecedented number of new starts to be given in one fiscal year. There were years when we got two or one, and now we're looking at 22. Uh, so it's a tremendous amount of work. There's also, I, I will, we can look at numbers a little bit. There's about 4 billion towards navigation in the construction count and there were some some other biggies out there including South Florida Ecosystem Restoration and better known as Everglades. Uh, that program received over a billion dollars so that's a significant and continuing investment in uh, that ecosystem restoration mission and one of the nation's most prized and largest ecosystems that has significant threats around it and challenges due to climate change and, and population demands. So it's a really broad, broad program when we look at IIJA. Uh, the project list, as Doug mentioned, is out there. I encourage you to go take a look at it. There's a lot of uh, navigation locks that were funded to completion, which those are big dollars, which when we talk about traditional civil works budgets have always been incrementally funded. Congress is really, and the administration is really trying to get after some of those larger projects that in a, in a normal or typical budget cycle might get kind of piecemealed or, or broken down or funded at a bare minimum capacity. We're really changing the way we're delivering the program uh, when we're funded to completion. So with that, as Doug mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, when you're funded to completion, you are expected to deliver. And that's going to come with a higher degree of accountability and scrutiny now that those funds are readily available. So that's that's going to be the biggest challenge within IIJA is basically we've been given the money now we don't have an excuse not to deliver. And while it's comp obviously more complicated than that, uh, that's where I'm focused for sure. And to piggyback on what Mackie is saying, 
having all of these new starts, having this massive amount of construction projects, we have been identified and given the opportunity to initiate and or complete. Investigations have has really gotten a lot of money as well. So it's not like the Corps is just building everything that was on the shelf uh, or something that had already been authorized. We are continuing to work with our non-federal sponsors and other partners out there to continue to identify things that we may have federal interest in doing to help provide that life safety, whether it's environmental or something else. <laughs> so, Doug, that's a great Good. point. And <laughs> no, but that's a great point. And I'd like to build on that when we talk about the investigations account and the funding that we received. It's 150 million, which might seem like a drop in the bucket when you look at $11 billion construction account. However, the investigations account and the language in the bill provided by Congress was very pointed in terms of what it's meant to get after. And it's meant to really start and focus on these new partnerships with non-federal sponsors that represent communities that are rural, economically disadvantaged, or otherwise disenfranchised, so environmental justice. And that is a new era for the core. You know, if we were given 22 new starts and all in navigation construction, you know, we'd get after that fairly quickly. If we were given 22 new studies looking at deepening harbors or maybe improving our flood risk management practices in a, in a metropolitan area, we know how to do all that. And we do that pretty well. But when it comes to partnering with communities that maybe have been passed by for federal assistance in the past, uh, maybe their projects are smaller and they don't have as much, we'll say, flair when it comes to public visibility. That's where we're really trying to get a bigger bite at the apple. And it's not going to be easy. Um, it's going to, uh, when you partner with people who've never partnered with the federal government before, it's always a challenge. But that's where we can really start to get after some of the administration priorities and reaching the communities that need assistance the most. So that's that's one point that I think should not be lost when we talk about IIJA. And Congress understood that there are a lot of the communities out there that Mackie is referring to don't have the cash to oftentimes partner with us. So as one of the ways to help be able to partner with the core and the federal government as a whole is to provide financing. So there are opportunities within the appropriations to allow for the non-federal sponsor uh, to be able to actually finance their cash contributions and pay back over a 30-year period. So uh, some unique financing op opportunities that may have uh, allowed some folks to participate in the past and could. From an investigation standpoint, going back to where I was talking just a few minutes ago, we actually identified and have completed several uh, studies through BBA that happened back in 2018. We've just now started completing a whole suite of chiefs reports. They have either gotten authorization in just the recent prior order or will receive authorization in the next order. And guess what? They're going to be ready for construction as well, at least to go into design. So we're continuously building more and more opportunities to help more and more communities out there. And some of those things we studied with BBA dollars are now being funded for design and construction with DERSA dollars. It's a good kind of a seamless connection between all the supplements. 
it's exciting to to see the the focus here on infrastructure, but also just the entire life cycle. The fact that we're not only doing construction, but we're doing studies to prepare for the future, and a lot of the work that we're doing on the locks and dams and, and some of the port dredging, you know, that all helps to ease supply chains and really is going to benefit multiple generations. If you look at the original locks and dams and the harbors, you know, a lot of these have been in place for 50, 60, 70 years, and they've provided benefits to the nation from them. And I think a lot of consumers don't realize how many goods move through these ports and why that the consumer prices are, you know, generally low because of the efficiency of our infrastructure. Um, and I know we've, you know, we're facing some issues or challenges right now with inflationary pressures and many of our projects hopefully will help ease those but in the meantime we're going to have to deliver our projects across the board with some of these inflationary pressures with the other federal agencies all having a tremendous amount of infrastructure dollars as well so we'll com compete for resources you know what is the core doing to try to, to deal with these issues and, and what concerns might we have about our ability to implement I'll start with this one. Aaron, that's a great question. It's, it's obviously the elephant in the room when we when we look at kind of the short-term execution and startup of delivering these massive programs. I don't think, the answer is I don't think we have a grasp on it quite yet. I think that uh, this is not the first time in history that the nation has gone through a big inflationary period. I think this is not the first time, you know, in the core's recent past that we've seen a major spike in gas and material prices. These things, you know, thankfully we have experts on board that know and can and understand how to deal and account for these things in our cost estimates. But when we look at the larger picture and, and how it's gonna impact the long-term delivery of the program, I don't think we have an answer to that because we don't know how long this, this certain scenario is gonna last. Uh, we are actively trying to wrap our hands around that. Uh, we are doing that by way of a task order we're developing to do exactly that, which is do a enterprise-wide survey of market conditions so we can get a better handle on where we think the market is going. Yeah, if you looked at the news for the last 30 days and you said you're gonna have to deliver the pro program under these conditions, you know, I'd have a panic attack. But what I do when I wake up in the morning is I, I remind myself this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is a generational investment. When we get this thing up to speed and we start pulling these non-federal sponsors on board and they're making these investments with us, you know, that's going to take a few years to really get into the meat of the program. And I'm hopeful that by that time, this kind of haywire uh, blip we're seeing will have settled back down and we'll be operating under, you know, what we can perceive to be normal conditions. And that's where we are in the process right now. Uh, ask me three years from now, I might have a different answer. To add on to that, DERSA, based on lessons learned from BBA and DRA, we realize that sometimes the projects that are identified for implementation are have outdated information, and therefore their change conditions, and their certified cost is several years old. So one of the things, taking that lesson learned of running out and executing an agreement, and then not fully understanding and appreciating what the scope and real cost is going to be, and then we've had subsequent cost growth that we've had to adjudicate, through a risk reserve. For DERSA, we've taken a different approach. If you do not have an updated certified cost estimate from our MCX, the Cost Engineering Center of Expertise, that is at least less than two years old, you have to do a new one before we're going to even allow you to do a, an agreement. So we're, we're asking the field and our non-federal sponsors to confirm what the scope is, 
to do a little bit of additional work up front in order to give us a better idea of what that overall cost is. Now, the money has already been identified and set aside for those particular activities, but if you can do something for less, then maybe the administration might consider moving those excess dollars elsewhere to help adjudicate costs and things of that nature. So we did apply some of the lessons learned trying to help us get better control of what the cost might be. But as Mackie mentioned, market conditions, things today may not be the same tomorrow, won't be the same tomorrow. And those certified costs are just snapshots in time. And we need to have our teams as they're working through the process, designing and awarding contracts, continuously look at those cost estimates to ensure that we can still implement and execute within the amounts we have. And if we don't, that's okay. We just need to have a conversation with those who control the purse strings to ensure that we'll be able to complete those as required. Yeah, it goes back to communication and coordination, right? Being transparent, making sure that we're continuously communicating any challenges that are coming up, and then working early to coordinate or mitigate those challenges that come up. We're nearing the end of our time together, but I just want to ask both of you if there's anything else that you would like to tell our listeners. Well, one thing I'll throw out there, because Angie, you're helping to develop it as a communication dashboard map. I saw this on... Sunday morning news like two or three weeks ago, and I thought it was absolutely perfect. The guy said, you wouldn't drive a car without a dashboard. And I'm thinking, yeah, and you wouldn't try to execute 40 plus billion dollars in supplemental funds without some kind of dashboard, right? So first step is to take all of the projects that we know of from the four supplementals, and we're creating a map. And it's going to be an interactive type of tool that's going to allow not only folks within the core, but people external to the core to be able to grab that information, see the projects, understand the projects, know about the projects, be updated by the projects. So very critical communication tool, because again, this is billions of dollars and we need to be accountable, right? We need to be transparent on what we're doing with it. So that is one of the biggest things that'll be coming down the line from the revolutionized civil works folks. Um, and we look forward to maybe having in the next several months, sort of the prototype that we can work with all interested parties to ensure that it is meeting the information needs. So Doug has hit on a very, very important factor here, which is communication. Not only you know within our organization itself, but how we communicate our story outwards, whether it's to the administration or to Congress or to the public at large. So that will certainly be a big emphasis uh, when we look at delivering these programs. And I know we've talked a lot today, uh, probably a lot of too many words in a minute. There's a lot of information out there. It's hard to really break these things down into digestible pieces. But I think Doug has used a word throughout this podcast. It's also very important is that particularly with IIJA, this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the core to demonstrate that, you know, we are the nation's number one construction authority for a reason. And we know how to build things and we know how to formulate and we know how to really consider all the factors that go into determining what makes a good federal investment. So when we look at our internal processes and how we're delivering, you know, all I can do to encourage the field is because I certainly do it. I used to call it, you know, adapting to change. This is a big period of change. And not only is the core going to have to adapt, but to really make use of this opportunity and demonstrate to the nation that, you know, their taxpayer dollar is being used in a, in a prudent and meaningful way, is that you have to embrace this change. And whether that means, 
you know, embracing these new metrics or really critically thinking about, I know we've always done it this way, but how can we, you know, maybe make this a little more efficient, even if that means working with another district or another MSC or sharing some work. Like those are the things that we really, as an organization, each of us individually has to adapt and embrace moving forward. That's one thing that I would add to the group because it's the only it's it's the only way you're going to survive in this environment. Honestly, I mean it's it's a tremendous challenge, it's a tremendous opportunity. I'm grateful to be a part of it, and I look forward to uh, helping the field execute this you know generational investment. Thank you, Doug and Mackie, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you. What topics are important to you? And what people you're interested in hearing from? Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.